Welcome to the Lion's Tribe. I am Pastor Jimmy Udukoya. I pray this episode blesses you and it reminds you to become the lion that God has called you to be. Be blessed. Look at your neighbor and say the ark of his presence. Say it one more time, the ark of his presence. We shall be going to Joshua, the third chapter, Joshua chapter three. And it seems like we are going on. We started in Joshua one and then we went to Joshua two. And with Joshua two, we were on a three part series of the scarlet thread. And now we are in Joshua three. Joshua three. Verse one, I'll read. KJV version. It says this, and Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days, somebody say three days, that the officer went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet, somebody say yet. Yet there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which you must go. <laughs> For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. Let's jump to verse 14. And it came to pass that when the people removed their tents to pass over the Jordan... And the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the Lord. And as they that bear the ark were come unto the Jordan. And the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. That the water which came down from above stood. And rose up and had a heap very far from the city Adam that is beside Zaretan. And those that came down towards the sea of the plain. Even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on the dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Now let's get into it. Let's go back to the beginning. The Bible says in Joshua 3 verse 1, uh, um, verse 2, that after three days the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying that when you see the ark of the covenant and the priest bearing it, that you should leave where you're going and leave space so that the covenant the presence could go before because it was important for them to see which way they must go. 
And I began to look into it and I saw it was very important that before we begin to jump into what was happening, we must understand the importance of the Ark of the Covenant. Our God is very intentional. Everything he does is intentional. Everything he creates is intentional. Side note, that means you were created intentionally. The Bible talks about the first board meeting ever held in the annals of time. God called the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit sat together and had a board meeting. And they said, let us make man. Very intentional. So everything about you is intentional. Now, I said this in Thursday showers. I said, I don't care if you were born in wedlock, outside lock, inside lock, overlock. Everything about you, your creation while you were here was done intentional. Very intentional about everything he does. And even when he came to creating the Ark of the Covenant, there was intentionality as well. Exodus 25 verse 10 to 22 speaks specifically how the Ark must be created. He gave them instructions. NKJV says that they shall make an Ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits long and the breadth two and a half cubits wide. And they must overlay it with pure gold. Right? Then he says, you shall cast four rings, put it on the sides, and then overlay that with gold. Then get two poles made of acacia wood, overlay that with gold, slide it into the four poles. It can never be removed because that's how the ark must be carried. Then he says, you will go and, cr- and create another seat called the mercy seat. I'm paraphrasing. The mercy seat, again, two and a half cubits long, two and a half cubits wide, overlaid with gold, and then... You will beat out a cherub made of gold, two on each side, on the ends of the mercy seats, and their wings on high must cover the mercy seats with their wings, and their faces shall be towards each other, towards the mercy seats called the cherubs. Look at 21. And ye shall put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And I will meet with you there, and I will talk with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubs on the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give you in commandments to the son of Israel. Very specific. Making them understand the ark of the covenant is the manifest presence of God. And he says, this is how you will make it. This is what you must do. This is how you will lay it. This is how you will carry it. In the middle of the cherubim, my presence is there. I will speak to you. You will put the testament and laws that I give you under the mercy seat. And from there, I will speak to you. Ark of the Covenant was very important. No one could approach the ark. No one could carry the ark. It was God's presence. Leviticus 16, 13 to 16. Look at how the ark came into play when he came into the atonement of sin. Let me read this to you. Leviticus 16, 13 to 16. And he shall put the incense. This is the high priest, by the way. Upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he did not die. Now listen to verse 14. He shall take, the, take of the blood of the bullock. Sprinkle it with his fingers upon the mercy seat eastwards. Before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger. How many times? How many times? 
Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullocks and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Verse 16. And then he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. So shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Are you still with me? As you begin to read this, I began to get happy because there again, we could see the scarlet thread. Once again, the scarlet thread, the blood that is sprinkled on the mercy seat was pointing to the redemptive blood of Jesus as the atonement of sin for the world in who in himself will be fulfillment of the law. Romans 10 verse 4 says this, For Christ is the end of the law. Amplified version. For Christ is the end of the law. It leads... What does he lead to? And its purpose is fulfilled in who? For granting righteousness to everyone who believes in him as savior. So there he is. And he does it so that we can obtain mercy. Hebrews 4, 15 verse 16. Look at the mercy seat coming into play. Everything points to Jesus. The blood, the blood of Jesus. The mercy seat, look at Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16. Amplified version. What does it say? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weakness and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how he feels to be human in every respect as we, yet without committing any sin. Therefore, let us, with privilege, approach the throne of Grace, that is the throne of God's gracious favor, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive what? We may receive what? For our failures and find in his amazing grace to help in the time of need, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right time. So even the Ark of Covenant was pointing to Jesus. Paul puts it another way. And by the way, I love Paul. He's so eloquent in how he puts it. Look at Ephesians 2, 11 to 16. 11 to, Ephesians 2, 11 to 16, Amplified Version. We're just setting the stage, amen? It says this, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth, who are called on circumcision, by those who call themselves circumcision itself a mere mark which is made in the flesh by human hands remember that at that time you were separated from excluded from any relationship with him alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise with no share in sacred messianic promise and without knowledge of God's having no hope in his promise 
and living in the world without God. But now, somebody say now. But now, at this very moment, in who? You who were once so very far away from God have been brought near by what? By what? The blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace and a bond of he who, he who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one body, listen to this, and broke down the barrier, the dividing wall of spiritual antagonism between us, by abolishing in his own crucified flesh, the hostility caused by what? Caused by what? With its commandments contained in ordinances. Which who who satisfied it? Which he satisfied. Jesus. So that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Thereby establishing peace. And that he might reconcile them, both Jews and Gentiles united, in one body to God through, 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 thereby putting to death the hostility. So, with that being said, I hope I've been able to convince you and not confuse you that the ark was pointing to... Are you still with me? Let's continue. Now, look at what it says. It tells them that this is a, it is very important that when they carry the ark in verse 2, that the priests and the Levites are the ones bearing it. Remember I said God is very intentional. We talked about how it was created. So not only was it intentional about how it was created, it was intentional about who could carry it. See, the Levites were the only ones allowed to carry the ark. And they were the only ones allowed to carry the presence of the Lord. Deuteronomy 31.9, put it up. Deuteronomy 31.9, NKJV says this. And Moses wrote the law and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of, the sons of, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord and unto the elders of Israel. Deuteronomy 31, 25 to 26. It says this, Deuteronomy 31, 25 to 26, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Bear means to carry. Which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, take this book of the law, Put it inside of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be a witness against thee. Very intentional. Who could carry the ark? And as I began to read this, it shed more light into what happened in 2 Samuel verses 6 with David and Uriah. And Uzzah, sorry. David and Uzzah. Do you remember that story? 
Let's read from verse 1. Second Samuel, stay with me. Verse 1, NKJV. He says this, And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, or Bale, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on what? They set it on what? Keep that. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahil, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And I went before the ark. Then David and all of the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firewood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came, look at this, when they came to the nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen what happened? The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of the Lord. How many people have read that story? I thought, ah, ah God, how far now? I have ever read that. I thought, but God, wasn't he just trying to, wasn't he trying to help? How can the ark of the Lord fall down and I'm there and I will not do something? Natural response, Right? Here's the problem. They already were walking in disobedience. Already. Because the instruction on how the ark should be carried was to be put on the shoulders of the Levites. And although there was singing, there was dancing, there was tambourine, there was all these musical instruments, there were sacrifice, sacrifices being made, it did not change the fact that David and the people were walking in disobedience. Write this down. Your zeal for God will never supersede obedience. Hmm. Your zeal for God will never supersede obedience. 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 says this. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? 1 Samuel 15. No, that's wrong. It was when he was speaking to, 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 um, to, to Saul. Right, there is 1522, there we go. Great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than what? Does the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than so, 
in your best zeal, you can sacrifice. You can do things for the Lord. But if you are not walking in obedience, it means nothing. And so you see that although Uzzah was trying to do the right thing, because disobedience was already in the equation, destruction was imminent. Look at your neighbor and say, I will not help God. You can never say, God doesn't need my help. God doesn't need my sacrifices. God needs my obedience. Now, let's take it a step further. We just established that God was very intentional about how his presence was handled. Not only how it was handled, but how it was carried. Not anyone was allowed to carry the presence. It was only for a select few. It was for the Levites. Now, here comes Jesus. Here comes your Jesus. He comes and says, hold on. How about I do one better? How about I make you a carrier of my presence? John 14, 12 to 17, amplified version. Look at this. Jesus is speaking. He says this, I assure you and most solemnly say to you that anyone who believes in me as savior will also do the things that I do. And he will do even greater things than In extent and outreach, because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name as my representative. This I will do so that the Father may be glorified and celebrated in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name as my representative, I will do it. If you really love me, what will you do? You know, when Pastor Tolu was talking about obedience, I'm like, why is she preaching my message? Calm down. If you love me, what will you do? Keep and obey my... And I will ask the Father, and he will give you... He will give you another helper, a comforter, an advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, Stand by. You see, the word another seems to indicate that Jesus was our helper on earth, right? That he was the manifest presence of God in the flesh on earth. And because he was going, he was sending a replacement, right? He says, a standby to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive and take to his heart because he does not see him or know him but you know him because he he who remains with continually and what will be 
You know, in the dispensation of the old, when the presence of God came, the glory rested upon. He spoke to Moses and said, I will let my glory pass before you. And every time God wanted to do something, he, the glory, his presence will rest upon. Jesus comes and says, no, I will do you one better. Rather than you'd be someone, rather than coming and going in dispensations, I will put the glory of God. Tell somebody I'm the carrier of the glory of God. I am the carrier of the presence of God. Now, just in case you were wondering who the comforter is, John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and to act on whose behalf now what will he do he will teach you in he will teach you what he will teach you what and he will help you remember everything that I've told you so if Jesus is the manifest presence of God it's fair to say that the Holy Spirit as well is the manifest presence of God. Psalm 139 verse 7 says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your what? For the proof that you are a carrier of his presence. The ark could only rest in the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. The hand. Want to read. Do you not know that your body, whose body? Whose body? Look at your neighbor and say, My body is a temple. It is not just any temple, it is the temple of who? God's manifest presence, the Holy Spirit. That is your body. How can sickness dwell in God's manifest presence? How can depression dwell in God's manifest presence? How can failure and lack and poverty and worry and anxiety dwell? Look at your neighbor and say, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says. Who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own. You were bought with a. Tell your neighbor, my temple is expensive. Look at your neighbor, say, my temple is expensive. It says, you were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with what? Not just any blood. The precious, the precious blood of Jesus. God shed his blood to purchase you. That's an expensive exchange. That's how much you're worth to God. That's how much your body is worth to him. He says he purchased you with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then, 
you must honor and glorify God with your body. Your body is not your own. Listen, listen. You know, someone said, the way you, sometimes, the way you treat a gift is an indicator of how much you value the giver of the gift. Somebody also said, sometimes this is, abuse is imminent when something is given as a gift because the person that received it did not buy it. <laughs> if I bought you a Rolls Royce or a Mercedes, you know, a G-Wagon, because you know it's expensive, you drive it well, right? But let me shock you. No matter how you will drive it, it's different if you went to the bank. Talk to me, somebody. And you withdrew from your account the upwards of 80 to 120 million. And you felt your account go boom. You know, there are certain withdrawals that when you take your account to lean, certain credits are last, your funds. When you see the money leave your account and you take it to purchase that G-Wagon, I, I dare say you will drive it differently. Uh, it's not, eh? Because every time you drive it, you remember the withdrawal. There's a reason why owners get very upset and territorial over their things because they say, do you know how much I paid for it? Do you know what it cost me? It is the same way God is territorial. Over you. Do you know how much I paid for it? Do you know how much it cost me? You dare not. That's why it says I will contend with those. My blood is precious. I gave my son. He emptied himself to purchase you. So they dare not. When the devil wants to come and tell you, I say, say, do you know how much God paid for me? When someone tries to tell you that you are less than, tell them, do you know how much he paid for me? Listen, this is a side note. Just a freebie. No matter how valuable you are, do not put yourself in a position to be disrespected. Because when you put extraordinary things in ordinary environments, you get ordinary, ordinary treatment. That's why it says don't cast your pearls before there was an experiment that was done. It was interesting. He was a world-class violinist. And I watched his video in awe. And he went to the New York subway and was playing a piece. And he played, and some people gave him some cents, gave him a couple of dollars, maybe made about 
$10 in total. People didn't really stop. No one paid him attention. What they didn't know, that this was a world-class violinist who days before had played in one of the biggest theaters in the world and the violin cost over $150,000 and every seat to sit in that auditorium cost the upwards of about $250 to $1,000 depending on where you sat and it was packed out to hear this man play. But this extraordinary talent in an ordinary environment was reduced to mundane. When you begin to carry yourself as the precious temple purchased by the blood, I'm not talking about pride. I'm not talking about pride. When you see yourself the way God sees you, as the apple of his eye, as the one who he is concerned with, as the one that he loves, that he's so taken with, that the angels cannot understand. He said, who is man that you are so mindful? He's so taken with you that he says the hairs on your head are numbered. When hair strand 5,000 falls out, oh, it fell out. When hair strand 250 turns gray, oh, it's turned gray. He says, when you cry, he sees your tears. He is the God of the universe, but he's so attentive to your needs. He is everywhere at the same time, but he's never, he is controlling the galaxies, the stars information. He tells us that the seas, you will not go past this. He says the earth is the Lord. He sees everything. Everyone is trying to get his attention, but he is never too busy for... If the galaxy needs to stop rotating to hear your cry, he'll stop it. Because you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. Are you still with me? Okay. That was just a side note. We just took a quick detour. Let's continue on. Now, the next thing that stuck out to me, which was very interesting... In verse 3, he says this, or 4, sorry. It says, there shall be a space, this is Joshua 3, 4, between you and it, 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way which you must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore, or before. That heretofore is a, heretofore, calm down. <laughs> you have to calculate before you say the word. But look at what it said. It says, you must let it go ahead because you have not been here before. I wrote this down. It said, it's important for the people to let the presence go ahead of them because they were being made aware that they had never passed this way before. In other words, it was important for the people to know that this experience was new to them. Now, the first thing you may think is, wait, this isn't new to the children of Israel. I mean, after all, God parted the, the Red Sea, so this can't be new. But then when you remember that the generation that crossed the Red Sea all died. I'll show it to you. Numbers 14, 22 to 23. Numbers 14, 22 to 23, Amplified Version. It says this. 
Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my miraculous signs, which I performed in Egypt and the wilderness, yes, have put me to test these ten times and have not listened. There it is again, that disobedience. Listen to my voice will by no means see the land which I swore to give to their fathers. Nor will any who treated me disrespectfully and rejected me see it. Jump to verse 28. 28 says this. Say to them, as I live. You see, when God starts to say as I live, you know that there's a problem. The being that cannot die. The one that cannot die says, as I live, you know there's a problem. He says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just what you have spoken in my hearing. Remember, they were grumbling. That, ah, it's better to have let us die. Let us die in Egypt. Why did you bring us? He said, hey, be careful what you say. He said, as I live, just as you have spoke, be careful what you speak with your mouth. What you spoke in my hearing, I will most certainly do to you. Problem. Your dead bodies will fall in the... Hey, people that are alive. You're very t- hey, Jesus. People that are alive. Says, he's telling them about their dead bodies. That's problem. They already died. Your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness, even all, all who numbered of you, your entire number from 20 years old and upwards, who have murmured against me, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joseph the son of Nun, not one of you shall enter the land in which I swore an oath to settle you. So you must realize that this generation was not that generation because everybody 20 and above died in the wilderness. What was supposed to be a 40 day journey became 40 years and in that wilderness they died. So it's important to understand that this was not the Red Sea crossing. The Red Sea is not the Jordan. And how was it different? The first thing I wrote down is that he manifested his presence differently in the Red Sea crossing. Exodus 13, 21. Exodus 13, 21. Hmm, how do I have 14 minutes? Exodus 13, 21. It says this. The presence of the Lord was going before them by day in a pillar column of cloud to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they could travel by day and night. While when they were crossing the Jordan, it was the ark that went before them. Now, this is important to note because it tells us, listen very carefully, that we cannot box God by our experience. That's a seller point. I'll say that again. We cannot box God by our experience. Just because he did something one way does not mean that is the only way he can do it. In Exodus, he spoke through a burning bush. Exodus 3 verse 4. 
When the Lord saw that he turned away from the flock to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. In Job verses 38 verse 1, he spoke from the wind. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. In 1 Kings 19, 11 to 12, NKJV, he says this. Then he said, this is the Lord speaking to Elijah. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was what? But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So we have to be careful not to relegate or limit the sovereign God by our experience. You see, he is multidimensional. He is inexhaustible. Let me take it a step further. I'm about to shake some tables. You, you know me, I'm coming. We have to be careful not to imprison people to our own personal experience of God. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's why you see the, the claps are very, claps are like, eesh. I'll say it again. We have to be careful not to imprison people to our own personal experience of God. So when we begin to hear five steps to your deliverance. Pastor, you have, you have started. Six steps to get your miracle. If you pray on this mountain, the same way I prayed on this mountain. You see, that's that mindset. Just because God spoke to you through fire, does not mean that is the only way God speaks. You cannot put God in a formula. You cannot box him in. It goes against his nature of sovereignty. When you think God is water, he becomes wind. When you think he's wind, he becomes fire. When you think he becomes fire, he becomes earthquake. He said, who you know that I keep hails and stones and, and thunder and lightning for my time? You cannot box in God. You see, human beings will always try to crucify. They always try to categorize you. And as long as you fit the narrative that they have created of you, everything is fine. Once they can box you in and define you as this is how you are. And you fit the narrative, everything is okay. But the problem begins to happen when they cannot categorize you. Why do you want to categorize me when you cannot categorize my God? After all, the Bible says I am made in the image and likeness of. But people will want to categorize you. And when they cannot categorize you, the next thing they will do is crucify you. Ask Jesus Christ. 
You say you are the Messiah, but you are not hanging with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You say you are, but you are hanging with tax collectors and, and prostitutes and fishermen and riffraffs and rogues. How can you be? Because they could not categorize him, they... So let us be careful not to imprison people by our own personal experience of God. Now, I take it a step further. I take it a step further and I say this. We have to be careful. Somebody say be careful. Not to build monuments to what God has done so much so that we miss what God is We have to be careful not to camp at the feet of monuments to where they become idols in our lives. Rather, the only feet we're supposed to camp at is at the feet of Jesus. Joshua 4. See, there's nothing wrong with monuments. There's nothing wrong with monuments in itself. Look at Joshua 4 verses 1 to 3. It says this, and it came to pass that when all the people, NKJV, and when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying this, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, take for yourself 12 stones from here, out of the midst of Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place, and what? Leave them, leave them. In the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Carry them and leave them. Look at 21. Let's jump to 21 to 24. Then he spoke to children of Israel saying, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones that you should let your children know? Saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. A monument is meant to be a memorial to remind you of what God has done. But you see, it's a monument and not the final destination. If the children of Israel took those 12 stones, they said you will put it there where you lodge. If they now built the memorial stones and made the location of the memorial stones the promised land, they have now given up what God had created for them and built monuments to an event. And that's what a lot of us do. We stop looking at the promised land and we camp at the site of monuments. I know it's getting very it's getting very quiet. Now, this is why it is important to be led by the presence of God because God is oh, somebody say always. God is oh, somebody say always. He is always doing a new thing. Isaiah 43 put it up there. It's a perfect example of monument versus presence. Isaiah 43, verse 15 to 19, NKJV. It says this, I have four minutes, wow. 
It says this. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariots and horses, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinguished, they are quenched like a... That's him talking about the Red Sea and the Jordan, correct? The Egyptians, chariots, horsemen, lie down, crossed, all of that. That's a monument. That's reminding what is done. That's an event. Are you with me? Somebody say monument. Now look at what he says in the next verse. One, two, read. Do not... Do not remember the former things... Or consider the things of whole old. Why? Behold, I will do a... I will do a... That's presence right there. Monuments. What I did. That's in the past. Behold, I am doing a... When you follow the presence, he can show you the newness. I'm going somewhere. We'll probably will end here. Ooh, okay. Luke 5, 33 to 35. Luke 5, 33 to 35, NKJV. He says this. Then they said to him, I want Pharisees. Just love them. Always, oh. Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees but yours mm-hmm. our Holy Spirit our monitors our class captains who sent who, who told you to be why are you so concerned about <sighs> but yours what and look at Jesus the audacity he says and he said to them <laughs> oh god sometimes god will give you give you wisdom to silence your enemies look at what he says can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them qed that's it he now says but the days will come When the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those. Now, let me, this is, this is where we're going to end it. Yeah. You see, in this context, fasting and praying, events, monuments. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. Just calm down. Monuments. They were asking him, why are you not doing what we have been told to do? Versus when he says, can you not make the friends of a bridegroom, can you make them fast when he is with them? In other words, presence. Listen, it's like believing God. If I said to you, this is the way to receive cash from God. You stand like this. This is how I did it. Stand like this. Lift one leg. I'm beginning to, I'm on this balancing, it's harder. 
And this is how, if you pray like this to this, to this, whatever this side is, that's how you receive from God. That's the process. So, who wants to come and receive from God? Who wants to help me? Wait, you have to have balance. So. Thank you. Ah, thank you, sir. Sir, come and receive from God, please. This is how you receive. This, no, this leg, this leg. You have to face like this. Thank you. I'm going to pray. Now, this is the way to receive from God. This is how I got it. So, if I now come and do this, Question, sir. Why, why are you still doing this? It's not enough. It, you see, he said it's not enough. But apart from that, I told him the process to receive. That if you do like this, you receive. Now, the money is in his pocket. Question, sir. Why are you still doing this? Have you not received the money that you were looking for? Wait, wait. Let's give him another one. See, the whole point of this is I've said this is the way to attract. When, that's all the money I have, by the way. So this is all the money you were you were looking for was looking for 2000 that that god gave him sharp guy he's saying that's not giving you back but the point is he has received what he was looking for it does not make sense to continue to do this because what you are believing for you have already received jesus says to them Understand that in the time when Jesus was around in the Gospels, every time you spoke about fasting and praying in Matthew and in Mark, it was because of power. Jesus said, why? They asked him, why can we not do this? And he said, because these things, casting out demons, only come by fasting and praying. So it was about receiving power. And he's telling them that this is a process to receive. But when you have Jesus, power himself, with you already Pharisees, you realize that it is not about this. It's about this. The very thing they were looking for, fasting and praying to bring power, to bring the money. Jesus says, I am the representation of what you are fasting and praying for. So you people are asking about fasting and praying, not realizing that the presence of what you are praying for is walking amongst you. That's why Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you would ask me to give you a drink of water because the water that I give to you from this, from this well cannot run dry. My water in you becomes a living water. We have to recognize the presence of God. And what the Pharisees and Sadducees did not understand, that what they were calling prayer and fasting, thank you sir, 
What they were calling prayer and fasting was dieting and exercise. Because how can you fast when the bridegroom is with you? May we be, I'm going to stop here because of time. Tell your neighbor, Ark of the Presence part two. Because we have not even scratched, there's still a lot to, we just said, we just said, it's a good place to end. But may we be so, may we be not so caught up with monuments that we neglect the presence. He said to them, it is important that the presence goes before you. Let me not preempt myself. Let me wait till next week. The presence goes before you. Look at your neighbor. Say, follow the presence. Follow the presence. Yes, God has done. It is to tell you. It is his resume. It is his resume to tell you what he has done. Giving you an indication that if he's done it before, he can do it again. But how he will do it, eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. It has not entered into the heart of man what God will do in and through you. Look your neighbor say, in this month of new beginnings, I will follow the presence. In this month of new beginnings, I will follow the presence. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that you were blessed. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to subscribe. And if you know a fellow lion that needs to join the tribe, please be sure. Send them this link. Share this episode. God bless you.